You are listening to Living for the Cinema with Jeff Gershon. I am a cinema enthusiast of all genres, here to discuss with you one film every episode. The good, the bad, and the ugly of what makes each film unique. Spoiler alert. No matter when this film was released, there's a good possibility I will be revealing spoilers about the plot or even possibly the ending. So just be warned. American Fiction, which came out in 2023 and was directed by Cordell Jefferson. It stars Jeffrey Wright, Tracy Ellis Ross, Erica Alexander, Leslie Uggins, Sterling K. Brown, Myra Lucretia Taylor, John Ortiz, Adam Brody, Skylar Wright, Stephen Burrell, John Ailes, and Issa Rae. The genre would be domestic drama slash satirical comedy. Monk, your books are good, but they're not popular. Editors, they want a black book. They have a black book. I'm black, and it's my book. You know what I mean. Look at what they publish. Look at what they expect us to write. I just want to rub their noses in it. I'd be standing outside in the night. Deadbeat dads, rappers, crack. You said you wanted black stuff. That's black, right? I see what you're doing. We sold your book. No. We believe Mr. Lee has written a bestseller. It's a joke. The most lucrative joke you've ever told. Now, is Stag a pseudonym? Yeah. Mr. Lee can't use his real name. Is this based on your actual life? Yeah, you think some bitch-ass college boy can come up with that shit? No, no. No, I don't. There's already so much buzz because of the movie deal. Michael B. Jordan is circling. We want to put him on the cover in one of those, um, uh, scarves, I guess you would call them, tied around his head. A do-rag? Do-rag, that's it. Do-rag and a tank top with the muscles showing. There's something called the fire department. <laughs> okay, off the bat, I have to make something very clear. If you come to this movie expecting a raucous, balls-out, mistaken identity satire, which is how this film has mostly been marketed up until recently, you're going to be a bit disappointed. Undoubtedly, there's a good amount of satire regarding the secret identity of Jeffrey Wright's monk and how he writes a highly stereotypical novel portraying a fictitious, quote, ghetto story. He does this as a joke after being constantly told that he needs to craft stories which are more, quote, black. And to his surprise, the novel actually takes off to be a smash success, which he is embarrassed to admit to anyone. So an elaborate ruse begins involving him. This has gone too far. Stag Arley is still on the run for authorities. You haven't done anything. It's not like they can arrest you. Now, this is all in the trailer, mind you. But here's the thing. It's not the actual focus of this movie's plot. What this film, written and directed by Cordell Jefferson in his feature directorial debut, after years of mostly working as a writer, uh, with shows such as HBO's Watchmen, fantastic show, what it's actually about could be referred to as more of a character study. Jeffrey Wright is at the center of it, delivering a fantastic performance, filled with both biting humor and pathos. If I were to even attempt to come up with a modern comparison, you could maybe sort of compare this on the surface to Alexander Payne's Sideways, from just under 20 years ago. It's a hard grape to grow, as you know, right? So it's thin skin, temperamental, ripens early. It's, you know, it's not a survivor like Cabernet. Like Paul Giamatti's Miles from that movie, Wright's Monk, funny that they're both named after jazz musicians, huh? 
yeah. is a sad sack, divorced, and embittered writer who is struggling with life on various fronts. Both of these characters are stuck, and even though their stories veer into wildly different directions from that setup, both films are undoubtedly funny while also maintaining a sad undercurrent for most of their runtimes. Jeffrey Wright, playing the put-upon writer, is generally likable, but it's also easy to see how this character gets in his own way. Almost immediately, we get to meet and know several members of his family, whom he reunites with upon returning to his hometown of Boston. Much of the movie actually focuses upon his tenuous relationship with them, including Leslie Uggams delivering a very tricky but effective performance as his mother Agnes, who is drifting into dementia and the great Sterling K. Brown as his recently uncloseted and divorced fun-loving brother Clifford, who pretty much steals most of his scenes. I still live in Tucson. What's wrong with Tucson? There's one gay bar and it's full of college kids. One of them asked me if I was Tyler Perry. I mean, Tyler Perry lives in Atlanta, right? Fuck you. (laughs) Plus, you have John Ortiz as his opportunistic literary agent who was given several of the film's best lines and the return of Erica Alexander, an actress I was very much fond of in the 90s. Where's she been since 90s living single? She plays Coraline, a woman across the street from his temporary beachfront home who Monk starts a relationship with. What do you see in my brother? He's funny. Mm-hmm. Like, sad funny. Okay. Like a three-legged dog. I see it now, like somebody dying on a toilet. <laughs> <laughs> With the exception of his mother, whose dementia state provides much of the drama, just about every character and performance is both witty and relatable. Yes, there are some broad laughs coming from Monk's need in the second half of the film to pretend for the public that he's actually the stereotypical street gangster thug on the run who mysteriously wrote this ridiculous best-selling novel. We love it. What? It is very, uh... Black? Yes, that's it. I'm happy you said it and not me. (laughs) But it's never overplayed, and it always feels in line with this character. Just watching the exasperated expressions on Wright's face as he humors two Hollywood producers on the other line of a conference call with his agent, it's pretty priceless. Same goes for his indignation at witnessing another writer, wittily played by Issa Rae, discussing her stereotypical smash novel, which inspired him. How did you come to write this book? What really struck me was that too few books were about my people. Where are our stories? Where's our representation? Would you give us the pleasure of reading an excerpt? Yo, Sharonda, girl, you be pregnant again? If I is, Ray Ray is going to be a real father this time around. There are clever observations and some timely satire poking at the, quote, gangster culture that he finds himself boxed into, all of which lands effectively. But unlike most other similarly themed movies going back decades, from Hollywood Shuffle to Reality Bites, Cord Jefferson also delves into a very thoughtful and touching examination into how and why creative types like Monk feel pulled into, quote, selling out their craft. We feel and understand his struggle, while not always agreeing with how he handles things. Finally, revisiting the one piece of absurdism that the story takes towards the end, you'll know when you see it. I really like this film and can genuinely appreciate what Jefferson and Wright were going for. And I feel like they succeed for the most part. Overall, this is simply a fun, engaging movie about ideas, but always told through the point of view of one specific idiosyncratic character. Often when it comes to spinning stories with distinct messages, we have seen just how easy it has been for many recent filmmakers, and filmmakers of the past, of course, to fall into the trap of treating their main characters like mere chess pieces, being maneuvered to convey the message. And we've seen this from some big productions from some genuinely talented directors just this past year. Alvin, when I came to you with those calculations, we thought we might start a chain reaction that would... Destroy the entire world? Mm, I remember it well. What happened? 
Blake Free Dead. Uh huh. Fortunately, Cord Jefferson never falls into that trap, and what results is a fantastic entertainment. Are those human remains? You guys have a permit for that? Just shut the fuck up, Philip. Cliff, you don't talk to me like that. You want me to beat your ass? I'm just. Fuck out of here, Philip! I will eat your sweater vest for dinner. Always been a fucking douche. This brings us to the categories. The first category would be best needle drop. This is the best song cue or piece of score used throughout the runtime of the film because music is essential to film. Roughly about two-thirds into the movie, the story takes just a bit of a sweet detour with the ad hoc wedding of Lorraine, who was the live-in assistant for Monk's mother before she was checked into a residential facility, and Maynard, the sweet local security guy from around town. It's a beachfront wedding, and as Monk has become increasingly close with Lorraine, spending more time with his mother, she has touchingly asked him to give her away at the wedding, which he does. Aww. This whole sequence is brief, but undoubtedly the sweetest moment in the movie. However, even sweeter is the needle drop that it brings to us in the following scene, which is a nice little wedding reception being held on the large porch of Monk's mother's beachfront home. Everyone is dancing, having a lovely time. Well, except for Monk. (laughs) But that's okay, because it leads us into a sublime moment as the camera pulls back from all these folks disco dancing, well, most of them are disco dancing, I think, to Monk, standing at the edge of the porch by himself, wistfully looking across the street at the home of Coraline who he is currently on the outs with. It's a genuinely nice moment punctuated with a dance tune, which I'd never heard before. The song is a breezy tune from Jamaica's own Sonia Spence, the late great pop singer who was apparently referred to back in the day, early 80s, as the female Lionel Richie. Well, at least according to Wikipedia. I honestly could not find out that much about her, as she only released two albums over a short period of time in the early 80s, and then died rather mysteriously just over 20 years later. But undoubtedly, she had a lovely voice and performed her share of reggae-influenced disco-like bangers like this one. The song is from her 1981 album, In the Dark, and is called Let Love Flow On. It's pretty great. category is wasted talent. This is the most underutilized talent involved with the film. Tracy Ellis Ross plays Monk's overworked doctor sister, Lisa, and she is a delight to watch in this movie. I've always liked this actress in whatever I've seen her in, which admittedly is not that much. Mainly her recurring role on the ABC sitcom Blackish and her charming supporting role on the underseen and underappreciated rom-com from just a couple of years ago with Dakota Fanning and Kelvin Harrison Jr., The High Note. Check that out. In this movie, Tracy and Jeffrey have great chemistry as siblings and some really nice scenes early in the movie. Strong character moments, which also help to introduce us to the overall family dynamic of the Ellisons, their family. And then, well, she's just not in the movie anymore. Yeah. Look, I get it from a storytelling standpoint. And props to Cord Jefferson for taking this story in some unexpected directions off the bat. But 
It was still just a bit disappointing, as I would have just loved to have seen more from this actress. How the fuck? I don't feel like much of the writer lately. Your books change people's lives. It's something I've written never changed your life. Absolutely. My dining room table was wobbly as hell oh my God. before your last book came out. It was like perfect. <laughs> the next category is the trailer moment. This is the scene or moment that best describes this movie. In a movie filled with quieter moments, which land in unexpected ways, my personal favorite is a somewhat tense exchange, which occurs late in the movie between Wright's monk and Issa Rae's Sintara Golden. Yeah, that's the name for writer. Cool name. You see, Sintara is kind of set up in the beginning of the movie as his rival, or at least a punchline at the outset of this movie with the aforementioned Q&A session for her book, which he attends. But as they both end up serving on an awards committee for a local book convention, Monk gets to know her a bit. During one conversation that they have alone, he takes the seemingly bold step of challenging her on why she wrote this, quote, ghetto story the way she did. What results is a slightly contentious, but also thoughtful conversation regarding what they are both up against as African-American authors and the ages-old struggle between art and commerce. Ray's character is given more depth than you would usually expect from a story like this. It's a really good scene, which pretty much sums up the themes for this movie. And the final category, the MVP, the person or people who are most responsible for the success of this film. Undoubtedly, this is a very promising feature directorial debut for Cord Jefferson. He directs it in a gentle, tight manner, which is often uncommon for first-time directors attempting to make a splash. But at the end of the day, what's essential to the success of this film is the opportunity to see Jeffrey Wright genuinely shine in a rare for him, since 2008's Cadillac Records, I think it was the last time, lead performance, which features him in just about every scene and plays it deeply into all of his strengths as one of our most consistently strong living actors. His drollness, the hidden warmth, the deepness of his voice, which can take command even when he's barely above whispering. It's all on display watching this complicated loner navigate into unfamiliar territory in both his career and personal life. Over the past 32 years, Wright has been one of our most engaging stalwart character actors. First seeing him in Presumed Innocent and Jumping at the Boneyard back in the early 90s, his breakout role playing Basquiat, stalwart supporting turns in genre films like Source Code, Shaft, and The French Dispatch more recently, and of course, all of his indelible clutch work with memorable turns in big franchises like Bond, The Hunger Games, Westworld, and of course, his sterling turn as Jim Gordon in the recent The Batman just last year. Well, here's hoping that more lead turns are coming his way. And for truly shining and emotionally carrying this movie, Jeffrey Wright is the MVP. Excuse me, uh, Ned, do you have any books by the writer Thelonious Ellison? Yeah, uh, this way. Here you go. Right. Yeah. Wait a minute, why, why are these books here? I'm not sure. I would imagine that this author, Ellison, is black. That's me, Ellison. Yeah. He is me, and he and I are black. Oh, bingo. No, no bingo, Ned. These books have nothing to do with African-American studies. They're just literature. The, the blackest thing about this one is the ink. I don't decide what sections the books go in, and no one here does. That's how chain stores work. Right. And you don't make the rules. I'm just going to put them back after you leave. Don't you dare, Ned. Do not you dare. My rating for American fiction would be four and a half stars out of five.
I have to admit that overall, much of this film just caught me off guard when I first saw it. The tone was generally quieter and more emotional than I had been expecting. Honestly, it was even a bit challenging to fully formulate my thoughts on it after first seeing it as I had to make adjustments on determining just how successful it was. I'm sorry, the trailer for this movie, that first trailer, just really threw me off, along with some earlier reviews praising it as a full-on comedy. And just as I was formulating this review, of course, Amazon MGM Studios released a second trailer for the film, which was more accurate, presenting as much about the family dynamic of the Ellisons than the hijinks involving the breakout success of Monk's latest novel. I mean, honestly, if you want to best enjoy this film, it's probably just a good idea to skip both trailers. It's a strong enough film to stand on its own. And if you're looking to watch American fiction, it is now playing in theaters. And that ends another soulful review. Please like, subscribe, and share the Living for the Cinema podcast. And follow and like us on Facebook, Instagram, and Letterboxd. And join us next time for another review from Living for the Cinema. Let's love flow on, baby.